0: residents when you're looking for your job remember you're in control make sure you hit up provider solutions and development they are the experts in holistic career coaching with exclusive access to hundreds of jobs nationwide hit them up at info.psdconnect.org forward slash docs outside the box This episode is brought to you by Set for Life Insurance. Listen, docs, one of the first steps we took to pay off our student loan debt was realizing we paid way too much for our disability insurance. That all changed when we found Set for Life Insurance. They helped us with a customized insurance policy that met our needs and most of all, budget. To learn more, check out setforlifeinsurance.com. What's good, everyone? This is Dr. Nee. Thank you for tuning in. Yo, thank you so much for continuing to roll with these review episodes, these rewind episodes, whichever, I don't know, whatever way you want to count it or call it. These are just episodes that you all have all downloaded a whole bunch of. A lot of them are all my personal favorites, but this is giving me an opportunity to kind of recalibrate, like I said before, what we're doing with Docs Outside the Box so that when we're done putting out these episodes, we're giving you fresh live and direct episodes that I think will benefit you all, all right? This episode is another rewind episode. But before we jump into that, I want to just say that I am constantly listening to podcasts. I don't know about you all. Actually, I hope that you all are listening to podcasts. I hope you listen to Docs Outside the Box a whole bunch. But if you're listening to a whole bunch of different podcasts, you know what I'm talking about. For me, podcasts are the primary way in which I educate myself, right? And it's the primary way in which I entertain myself now, right? If you grab my phone and you look at my podcast list, you're going to see things related to money. You'll have things on comedy. I had to think for a second. You have things on current news, on sports. There's just a whole bunch of different genres that you'll find that I listen to on my show. And shout out to people who are listening to a whole bunch of different podcasts. Yo, hit me up at Doctor Darko on Instagram. Let me know what your playlist is. Share it with me. Take a screenshot and put it on there so I can share with other people. And when I do, though, have the time Outside of just listening to podcasts and when I have some time outside of clinical practice, I like to not listen to podcasts. I like to just in the morning time after I drop my son off at preschool, I like to watch a little bit of those, you know, sports debate shows. I really like them. One of my favorite is, is Skip and Shannon. I'm all about Shannon, I'm Team Shannon. I don't even pay attention to Skip. Actually, a lot of times that I'm watching it, I'm watching reruns or I'm watching the highlights and I'll skip through everything that literally Skip has to say just so I can listen to Shannon because I don't know, I just love the way how Shannon handles his theater. I love it. But, you know, these shows, these debate shows, I like the back and forth. I like that they go back and forth. I really like that. It almost feels like it's like this verbal joust that two people are having or multiple people, right, that are having. There's a confrontation. You know, it's to me, like I said, it's just like theater. One minute you're going to be laughing And then the next minute, I'm ready to take my son's water bottle. I'm about to throw it at the TV screen. but Like, yo, what kind of take is that? But liking it back to what we do on this podcast, I think that there's something to be said about hearing from people from various backgrounds, right? And talking at the same time also. So I'd like to do a lot more of these episodes, right? I call them topics outside the box. I haven't done too many of these episodes, but I want to do more right? Because I think they're entertaining, but I also think that there's a lot of value in that. It brings a lot of people from various backgrounds and brings them onto the same platform, the same medium, so that we can talk and have a really good discussion. On this rerun episode, which is one of my favorites, you're going to hear from Physician on Fire as well as Surgify. Physician on Fire is also known as Dr. Leif Daline, as well as Surgify is Dr. David Roney. On this conversation that we had, we talked about everything from hot takes on the fire movement. Is it worth it? If it's not worth you know, working so hard and saving and then retiring early, we talk about leasing cars. We talk about so much more. I definitely think that you guys are going to be entertained or edutained by this. Trust me on that one. All right. Make sure you share this episode with other people. Without further ado, let's get it. What up, everybody? Dr. Leaf. How we doing? Dr. David. What's up, guys? How y'all doing? Welcome to Docs Outside the Box.
1: Good to be here once again.
0: This is Topic Outside the Box. We're going to be talking about all the different hot takes that each and every one of y'all take on personal finance, paying off debt. You know, we get a little tired of like the boring talks. Okay, you got to do X, you got to do Y. And I think one of the biggest things about personal finance is the first word is that it's extremely personal, right? Like we all want to reach that goal and understand that money is a tool but based off of our upbringing that's really going to determine the behaviors that we do that's also going to in some many regards depending on our socioeconomic standpoint is going to determine you know where we end up in as you mentioned before David if we're 500 feet behind you know someone else who had a head start it really determines where we're going to end up so i brought y'all on here because you know leaf with your physician on fire you've helped thousands of people really understand the concept of what life is really all about and using your money wisely and getting Basically, not waiting all the way into your 60s and 70s until you retire, right? Right. David, you have a very different perspective, almost 180 life perspective in terms of the finances and the environment in which you grew up. And as a result, you know, you look at life and personal finance differently. And I want to flush all of that out today in a fun conversation. So thank you all both for your time. Real quick, before we jump into it, David, why don't you go first? David Roney, why don't you tell us where you're from, what you do, what you write, where you at right
2: now? So I'm uh, Dr. David Roney. I am originally from Hawaii, but grew up pretty poor. you from Hawaii? Originally, yes. Honolulu, Hawaii. My sperm donor was a jarhead. So I sort of moved up and down California. We moved about 30 times when I was a kid. Played basketball, ran track at the United States Naval Academy, was a cryptologist before I went to medical school, became a surgeon. During that whole process though, I mean, I had been out of the house since I was 16, taking care of my mom. My mom died when I was 23, 24. And that entire time I was financially responsible for her. Made a lot of bad financial mistakes and learned from experience how to develop financial literacy in order to take care of myself. And I taught my brother, my brother taught me a little bit because we didn't really have any parents. I decided to start a blog during COVID because I was a new attending and my brother had been telling me like, hey, you know, you have all this life experience, you have all this knowledge you've accumulated because I just sit here and read and read and read. And he was like, you got to find a way to help people with that. And during COVID, I was watching people lose their jobs and between physicians, between people I knew back in California, like everyone's saying like, hey, you know, financially, I can't make it. And I didn't know how to help everybody. So I figured, you know what, I'm just going to regurgitate everything that I know and put it in one particular place where people can just go get it for free. One of the lessons that I learned was financial knowledge is not free when you become a physician, engineer, tech person. Like financial advisors are going to charge you quite a bit to get knowledge that theoretically you should have been taught in high school for free, right, or taught in elementary school for free. So I was like, you know, I, I need to decrease this barrier to entry. The people who actually need financial literacy are the folks who don't have the money to pay for it. Right. And that's counterintuitive. A lot of financial advisors make money off of high net worth individuals, and I have nothing against that. But at the same time, those high net worth individuals yes, you do. Yes, you do. Nah, you <laughs> I, I mean, Stop honest. lying. I Stop lying. It. <laughs> the fact of the matter is a high net worth individual got there for a reason, right? Unless they were given a trust fund they either had a degree or some very technical job, if they really put their mind to it, they could learn financial literacy quite fast, as opposed to someone who doesn't even have access to a great school system, and teachers who are willing to actually teach them. So what I'm doing is lowering the barrier to entry for folks. Because the reality, financial literacy, as you guys know, and financial independence, as you know, is a simple formula, right? It's simple math, right? It's your assets, minus your liabilities. Okay, now the there's a lot of nuance to it, but the reality is learning those nuances take a little bit of time, okay? Like uh, one of the things the white cone investor gets on me about, right, is when I talk about the use of credit and how for some people that might be their only access into the financial system is their credit, right? You can be unbanked, but you're never gonna be uncredit, right? That just doesn't exist because you have to go home, you have to go get a mortgage, you have to do X, Y, and Z, You have to go look for a car loan, whatever it is. You still have to touch the financial system. Your credit is your digital identity. And so just saying that, oh, well, you know, you don't have any credit. So I try and teach people about credit, too. Because also people will charge you for credit repair when it's free, right? right? There's no real credit repair. Right. It's knowing how the credit system works.
0: I agree with your points. And, you know, the thing, too, that I think, depending on what your economic status is and where you're growing up, The only credit that you may have available to you may be predatory in in nature. Oh, absolutely. Which is a problem. So the thing that I really want to talk to you about or that I eventually want to get you on the show about in the future is is your background. I swear, like if we were to make a movie about it, like you are somewhere between The Pursuit of Happiness, Party of Five, (laughs) Antoine Fisher, Brother. Like, yo, so I'm going to bring you back on this show. We're going to talk about your background because it's really important. All the obstacles that you've been able to get through, and how you decide to live your life right now. So I'm glad that you're on this show. So Dr. Leaf, I know you've been on this show, I think twice now. I believe. I believe so. Tell us a little bit about you, and then we're gonna jump right into this, man.
1: Sure, sure. And first, I just want to say, David, I think it's really cool that you took the time that you had, you know, during COVID to go ahead and be entrepreneurial and be, you know, educational and start that blog. Because what a better time. A lot of people are like, you know, just in hiding and mentally all over the place and couldn't focus on one thing. And you just said, okay, I'm gonna start doing this thing and you've jumped right in. So kudos to you. You asked about me. Uh, my name is Leif Darlene. I was an anesthesiologist for uh, 13 years post-residency. And I left my job uh, about a year ago, summer of 2019. And it wasn't a job that I disliked. It wasn't a job that I loved. It was a job that I had. And it was actually a really good career. But about five years ago, I realized that, you know, I had been making good anesthesia money and kind of living a middle class, maybe slightly better than middle class lifestyle, but a comfortable lifestyle that my wife and I were happy with. And we figured out that, holy shit, we've got enough money to retire anytime we want to because I just kind of saved most of what I made and invested in simple, you know, mutual funds and just kind of looked at the uh, nest egg that we had built up and I Realized work was optional. And I thought, well, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And it turned out anesthesia wasn't it. So I started a website, you know, like David did this spring. I started mine in 2016 because I had been learning all about, okay, this is what financial independence means. Here's the math, simple math, like David said. But people don't know this. Physicians don't know this. Burnout is huge. I see people wasting money, like trying to buy happiness in the pursuit of happiness. No pun intended. (laughs) And it doesn't work, you know, so often. But freedom and flexibility are things that make us very happy. Autonomy, uh, you know, is something that's lacking with uh, so many physicians' uh, jobs. So I started spreading the word via that website, Physician on Fire. And that's me and I. That's how we connected. And it's introduced me to a whole lot of awesome people. So I'm just really glad that I did it. And now, in the past year since we retired, our plan was to travel a whole bunch. (laughs) And that's kind of been crapped on. By coronavirus, but we did get a good uh, fall. We went to Mexico for a couple of months and then we went to Spain for a couple of months this winter and got out uh, in early March, actually, just as coronavirus cases were you know doubling every three or four days over there. so came back to the states just in time and now i 'm semi retired up here in northern michigan i don 't like to say i 'm retired because this blogging bit it 's a fun activity, but uh, at times it can feel like a job at least I make it like a job because i 'm very very active with it. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, let's jump right into fire then. So, David, you got a really interesting perspective about the fire perspective. We got Leaf right now, who is on that RE portion, which to some extent you agree with, but you don't. But I want to get your hot take. Tell us about your hot take on the fire movement. Wish your beef with it.
2: So personal finance is personal. We all agree on that, right? I started, I didn't come from a place of privilege. I worked my tail off to get here, just like you. I'm an African-American surgeon. We are like unicorns walking around to start with, right? Because there's not many of us. I work my tail off to get here despite the obstacles that are put in my way. So I don't want to give that up early, right? I spent 10 years chasing this. I want to try and go after it and see how far I can go. I spent so much of my life in poverty. I mean, half my life was spent in poverty, right? I'm finally getting to a point where I can be comfortable and not have to live in a life of scarcity. So why do I want to go back to that? I remember days of having no water, no electricity, no food. I mean, there'd be a whole week where we would live off of potatoes, bacon, and eggs. That's it. Every meal was just that. The next week, imitation crab meat and lettuce, right? And ranch. And I'm not going back to that, right? The reality is, I know I'm responsible with my finances, okay? Early in my life, I wasn't. I know now I'm responsible with my finances. I know that if I stay within a framework, right, whether that framework is paying my debt off in five years, paying it off in 10 years, the reality is it's going to be paid off, okay? Most of my family died at young ages. My mom was 49. My grandmother's 54. My aunt was 52. My uncle was 46 right? The people I looked to died early, right? So I'm going to live my life, I'm going to pay off my debts, and I'm still going to reach financial independence, because guess what? I'm in a high paying field, right? And I know that where my comfortability is, where my wife's comfortability is, I don't need to live on all of it. So as long as I put up 20% compound interest, right? Dollar cost averaging, that's going to get me there. And if I want to get a little bit above then guess what, I need to do some more risky investments. Real estate, okay, buying small businesses. Maybe I invest in Bitcoin or some type of cryptocurrency. Like, it all has a tier, right? The reality is, like you said earlier, you touched on, I'm starting from 500 feet behind everybody else. So I don't get the opportunity to be like, oh, well, you know, I'm gonna do this and I wanna retire in 10 years. I wish I had that, I don't, okay? My life created a hunger, and I'm not going to be able to quench that hunger, right? That thirst by retiring early. If like when I retire from surgery, I'm going back to get a PhD to finally do something I really wanted.
0: Okay. Thank you for dropping that. And I appreciate what you're saying. Cause it's true. Personal finance is personal. See, here's the way how I look at it. Like I didn't have the upbringing that you had, but for me, I look at retire early I guess we all agree on the FI part, but I think the RE part is the part that you don't like. For me, the way how I look at RE is the option to retire early if you want to, or the option to do whatever the F you want to do, but you just don't have to worry about your job playing a role in that factor. Do you see what I'm saying? And then the other thing too that you know, with me, I don't know if y'all know, but we went hard on our student loan debt to pay it off in three years. So yeah, we went back to the $200 a month budget where we were only spending $200 a month on food, and that was groceries. And then we gave each other 50 bucks a month for like discretionary funds to eat at work and stuff. So David, from what you're talking about, like, I know what you're talking about in terms of like going really hard, the opposite way and so forth. But I think I don't know, I just think it's all about priorities, right? Like if you want to prioritize, for example, having like a nice car, I think you can prioritize having a nice car. But I don't think you necessarily have to prioritize having a nice car, a nice home, nice vacation, and then still try to retire early. I think that's the difficult part. I guess I take the standpoint of, you know, Paula Pants, you can afford anything. That's
1: exactly what I was thinking. You can't when have you everything
0: and stuff. So yeah. I don't know. Leave jump in. What's your thoughts on what David said or whatever I said? What do you think about all this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, well, one thing is difficult in a way to define is retirement, at least for me About five years ago, like, gosh, we can just do whatever we want. We can travel, we can do all these things. And then I started to tell people about it. And then that started as a blog became kind of a business, right? And from the get go, I said, well, geez, if I'm going to tell people that I don't have to work for money, and then I start putting ads on the site and start making money, it looks a little disingenuous. So I started a charitable mission, and I donate half of the profits. And now, you know, four and a half years later, we've donated over $300,000 to charity as a result of this blog. And so, yeah, you we'll serious? talk offline, Yeah, <laughs> But there is money in this internet. Whole thing, I don't know if the so. audience, if
0: they can't see my family. <laughs> yeah.
1: How much is your blog bringing in? Wow. It's bringing in enough to to about $300,000 based on half the profits over four and a half years. You know, the first year was, you know, next to nothing, right? I've had mentors and, you know, there are, there are certain ways that uh, you can monetize a blog. I wish people could see your face right now. It's it's fantastic. Anyway, so like now I have this thing. I don't want to walk away from it. And it's kind of like I didn't get a PhD. I didn't have to go to school after retiring from medicine to do this other thing. But now I'm doing this other thing that's really impactful and fun for me. And like I said, I've met a ton of great people doing it too. So I'm very glad that I made the choice that I did. But again, I wouldn't necessarily call myself retired. I just have a very flexible job and I'm self-employed. I am my own boss which that might segue really nicely into a conversation that I know you wanted to have me about being employed versus being your own boss. Do you ever think you'll go back to clinical medicine just like a little bit if given opportunity? You know, that just came up back in March. I was feeling kind of guilty about not working while COVID was starting to ravage its way through the US. And I called my old boss. I said, hey, if you need me back for whatever reason, maybe you guys get overwhelmed. The hospital is over full of you get sick, just let me know. I still have my credentials. Everything is up to date, and I'll come back. And then six months went by, or I guess five, and I heard from my old boss, and my old chief, that is, and he said, you know, we're doing fine You know, with COVID. There's not much here, but we have attrition. Somebody's leaving, and we might actually be able to use you this winter. And so I said, all right, well, there's a few things I need to check off the list, ACLS and PALS and CME and yada, yada. But if it comes to the point where, yeah, you do need me, like, I'll be there. Not super psyched about it. Not, uh, I was very kind of indifferent. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. That's fine. No problem. So it may happen. It might not. It kind of depends on what else they line up if they recruit somebody in the meantime. But I'm not opposed to it. Like I said, it wasn't something where I was burned out and just had to leave. It was just a situation where I realized that work was totally optional and I opted out.
0: Mm. The one thing, David, I'm interested in your perspective is, Like, what are your thoughts on like burnout? Because, you know, being a general surgeon is no joke. And you're talking about maybe practicing possibly into your 50s and then going back and getting a PhD and so forth. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Do you ever think about that and stuff? Or
2: I I think about it constantly, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I'm a military physician, right? So it's a little, even from that standpoint, you can have skill attrition, right? And then so I always have these conversations with, I try to talk to as many smart people as possible from other industries, right? Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Let me pick your brain. How'd you get there? And I talk about things like about burnout. The biggest thing for me is passion about what you're doing. Okay, like if you have no job satisfaction, right? If you don't like being there, there's no amount of money in the world that is going to fix that, right? As Lee said, you you can't buy happiness. There's just not gonna happen, right? It sort of has to be this balance of, and I think this is where burnout comes, right? You either have one or the other. It has to be balanced out. Either you have too much money and you have zero job satisfaction. So then you don't have any, there's no skin in the game, right? You don't really feel that thrill every day that you are hoping to get. And then on the other end, you have too little money and, but you have job satisfaction. So then people end up staying, right? And then you get burned out like, Hey, well, I'm not really moving on. I'm not doing anything. And then I really want to live a better life. So I think you have to be somewhere in the middle. And I'm still trying to figure out where that is for me, right? Because. One of the newest things that they've been preaching to me is going the administrative route and sort of maneuvering things that way, right? Because I have this business mind. I have an ability to connect with people. But at the same time, I'm like, man, you know, surgery is really fun. Why are you telling me that I have to do either or? Like, this is my personal finance journey. I want the freedom to do what I want. Right. I don't necessarily want to retire, I just want control over my life. Because the last, 18 years, the military's had control over my life. They've said everything that I do, but they didn't create me. They didn't give me my skill set. My skill set was developed because of my personality and what God gave me, right? So I think burnout, it's easy to get burned out if you don't know what you're chasing for and if you don't have passion about the things that you do. Like, for instance, uh, Lee, you started your blog because, you know what, you wanted to help people, right? I started my blog because I wanted to help people. You do what you want to do because you you start you want to help people, right? So like right. there's passion behind that. There's a reason behind it. And if you can't find your reason, you need to move on. And I think that's what happens is we as surgeons or we as physicians, we train so long and we feel like we're obligated to continue to do that. In reality, we're obligated to be happy, right? So if anesthesia doesn't make you happy, ER doesn't make you happy, move on. The money's not worth it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And at least that's the perspective that I take. So I really enjoy what I do, but also at the same time I just want to have that option that if this thing goes south really quick, that I have something stashed away that I can make some different decisions. Maybe this podcast starts popping and uh, we're able to donate $300,000, you know, over some time, you know what I'm saying? But I get your perspective. Hey, aren't you tired of someone telling you what to do in residency? Like what time to be at the hospital? When you can leave? For some reason, you're always wondering when you're going to get a golden weekend. Hey, look, now is the time for you to take control. When it's time to start looking for your job, make sure you hit up our sponsor, Provider Solutions and Development. They are the experts in holistic career coaching with exclusive access to hundreds of jobs nationwide. Now, look, We rock with them here at Docs Outside the Box because they empower Docs just like you to, one, find a place you really want to be at. And number two, start making decisions with you at the center. How's that for a change? Whatever you're ready for next, they'll help you find it with no quotas, no commissions to get in the way. So look, start flexing those control muscles and hit them up at info.psdconnect.org forward slash Docs outside the box. Now, one thing that I really want to talk to you all about, this is another tweet that you sent out. You sent this late last month, is you're going to mess around and listen to these personal finance gurus telling you to pay off your student loans as fast as possible, and then will be 50 years old with no retirement savings. Don't play yourself, be smart about it. Dr. David, explain oh, that, what you talking about. Come on now. What that, you talking about here? Yeah.
2: Personal experience, right? So I had an attending of mine in residency who had been out of residency for 20 years, right? Living a lifestyle. Of everything in was also everything going out, right? He wasn't paying off his student loans and he had zero savings, right? So he was paying the minimum on his student loans and he kept refinance, refinance, yada, yada, getting a decreased payment. He was living on a million dollars a year and none of his student loans were paid off, Right. So I'm not advocating for somebody, and if you can do it, great, but if you want to take 10 years to pay off your student loans, that's fine too. Just have a plan, right? But if you're going to tell, like the White Cone investor loves to tell people, live like a resident for three years. Nah, man, I'm not living like a resident (laughs) for three years. I hated living like a resident, right? That's the reason why people go in the military, they do all these things, they sign contracts to hospitals that they don't really want to go to right away. Like, cause they don't want to live like a resident who wants to really live like a resident. We all know that residents don't get paid that much. And then if you're going to live like a resident for that long and you don't have an emergency savings, right? We saw a hospital system shut down in the last year, right? Because private equity bought that system and the residents were out on the street. So you're going to Philadelphia, tell, them, right? we're talking about tell folks to live like a resident, right? And part of that is not having emergency savings. Now, I would probably not have that big of a hot take if the first thing out of people's mouth would be like, hey, you need to have an emergency saving. Then prioritize your debt according to the interest rate, right? Because we all know that if you are paying off debt that is 3%, but the rate, if the market's returning 11%, you are leaving money on the table. That's just a flat out thing. Every personal finance person, whatever, whether you're an advisor, a coach, whoever, knows that difference, right? And they also know that these, there are some little tidbits that they keep to themselves, specifically the people on Wall Street will tell their clients that they need to do index funds, this, that, and the third, and dollar cost average. Meanwhile, they're buying shares of Tesla the entire time. Doesn't make sense, right? And there's like these little tidbits, and this is the reason why I talk to everybody, right? Because I want to know how you got to where you are And how do I get there, right? So I try and find people who are high net worth and I try to ask them, hey, how'd you get to where you are, right? But the reality is if someone's gonna, let's say they have, I know a couple people who are dentists and they have 600,000 in debt, right? They started their career at 36, 37 years of age, right?
1: Yeah.
2: They have 600,000 in student loan debt, plus they have to buy into a practice because everybody wants them to be an entrepreneur, right? They have to buy into a practice. Now they're a million dollars in debt. Mm-hmm. How are you Big supposed hole. to start a family, right? Be that far in debt and live like a resident? $200 a month. I don't know any wife out here that's going to want to
1: do that at that age. Nobody you jump in on this. What, you what yeah, do you think? Yeah, so I'm thinking that these ideas are not so incongruent. You know, living like a resident just means having a lifestyle that can you can survive and maybe even thrive on the fifty sixty thousand 60,000 year that residents make, right? Which is like a teacher salary, which is like a median US household salary, then that's just one person. Yeah, I think that lets you meet some of those goals that you're talking about. I think if you live like a resident, and that means driving a decent car, that means living in a middle class neighborhood, that means doing some you know, ordinary things.
0: Not a 20 year old car without airbags.
1: Yeah, I'm not doing that. Okay. Yeah, I'm not that makes (laughs) it so much easier to save up an emergency fund, right? That makes it much, much easier to max out your retirement accounts. And so you are not only maybe starting to pay down that debt at some rate, but you're also saving in all your retirement accounts, maxing everything out. So it's really more of a it's a lifestyle choice. And I think people look at it as like major deprivation, but it's really not depending on, and you lived on so much less, right? You know, you talked about it. He, you live like a college student, you know, Raymond and whatever else he ate with $200 in groceries a month for two people. And that's living lower than resident, you know, in a lot of ways. So I like to live like a resident mantra. I mean, what I did when I came out, I did locum tenants exclusively yeah, for yeah. two years. And so I lived better than resident, but I didn't pay for anything. The locums agencies, you know. They covered my bills. They put me up in apartments that were furnished. They gave me a rental car, you know, a late model, <laughs> sedan, whatever it was, and flew me around. And so we lived pretty well, but we spent very little.
0: I look at it like this. I think we all actually agree, right? I think it's almost like when I first started listening to Dave Ramsey, I was such a Dave Ramsey. I would love everything he said. And I realize that there's a certain person that he's talking to, and that may not necessarily be me. And what I mean by that is, Credit cards wasn't an issue for me growing up. Spending actually wasn't an issue for me. It was just income. And then all of a sudden, I became this resident and I forbeared and I deferred. And now I have $320,000 in student loan debt. My wife, the same thing. Now we're $660,000 just in student loan debt. So spending wasn't an issue. It was just that we didn't have the financial education. We didn't have the knowledge as to how we should pay off the student loan. So when he would say things like, for example, pay off smallest to largest, we would be like, well, mathematically, that don't make no sense, right? Until we started thinking, we're like, oh, I get it. His information isn't wrong, but it's really for the person who has an issue paying off a lot of debt, has credit card debt, maybe spending is an issue, maybe seeing that they have like $1,000 credit card debt, or maybe has a $20,000 credit card debt, then also has their house, and maybe paying off their house first, for them mentally, is not going to get them there. But for someone like me and my wife who never spent money, Yeah, paying off all this debt first so that we don't develop this huge interest for us was really important. And I think that's when we started to get a little bit mature and understand that, okay, I see what he's saying. We don't agree with everything that he's saying, but basically the basic tenets are pay off your loans as quick as possible. Take Dr. David's approach. Make sure you have an emergency fund first also. He says, get $1,000 first, right? And then live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. I mean, are we all in agreement with that or?
2: I completely agree with it. And if I was five years younger, not married, no kids, and I wasn't in the military, or even if I wasn't in the military, I would do exactly what LEAF did and locums it is, right? Because from a financial standpoint, from a business standpoint, it is the best thing to do if you have student loans, because guess what? You don't really have that many expenses. And you take some of those liabilities that normally would be there, housing, food, and they all get pushed at someone else, right? You're outsourcing all of that, and you're maximizing your revenue
1: in the same manner. With the military, I imagine you're doing some of the same things, right? Like you get some housing covered. I mean, you're in Cuba right now talking to us. (laughs) I don't think you're paying rent in Cuba.
2: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And that's part of the reason why they put that little fish out there and you end up getting hooked on the line is because, for instance, whereas you guys are working in a civilian.
0: Don't get fired, Dr. David. (laughs) <laughs> I
2: mean, they put that bait out there because most folks don't even understand that majority of the salary for the military is not even taxed. What? Yes. Now, majority of it's not taxed, right? I'm just getting like yeah. All majority of it. <laughs> wait, hold on a second. Right. So, <laughs> I like, need to start a blog. Housing allowance. My housing allowance, allowance <laughs> isn't taxed, right? Some bonuses aren't taxed. Some additional pays aren't taxed, and a allowance for food every month, basic substance, It's about three hundred dollars, right? Not taxed.
1: Can I ask how many of your 17 years that you have in so far count towards uh pension, towards, you know, time served? So that, because
2: of their, this is where the carrot happens, right? Okay. They give you something, they take something back. So yeah. because they trained me so much, right? I have to do more active years, right? So by the time I'm eligible to retire in 2035, even though I came in the military at 2022.
0: That seems like a long time, yo.
2: 2002, right? Mm-hmm. So in reality, I would have served Close to 30 years. Yeah. 33 years, right? But when I retire at Active for 20 years by their formula in 2035, I will get paid for 28 years. Okay. All right. That works out pretty well. It's the equivalent of a $4 million annuity.
1: Right. That's fantastic.
2: Right? So instead of going out immediately from residency and putting up a bunch of money, I have $4 million that's basically guaranteed to me at the end. That's the carrot. Yep. And that's a big that's carrot. carrot right? That's a big carrot, right? In theory, as long as I stay in, I'm a millionaire right off the bat. Multi. Indeed. Multi-millionaire right off Plus, the bat. Plus everything
1: you set aside is yours. You're, you're doing a TSP, right? You're,
2: yeah. And then yeah. so then they added this new carrot where they match up to 5% that you put in from your base salary, right? So I, we all know 401ks, 403bs, is whatever. a
0: TSP plan or something? Yeah. yeah
2: TSP, right? It's not the greatest thing, but guess what? It's getting 14% return based on what I've done, right? And I'm getting an extra 5%. So if I max that out, they add an additional 5% on top of that. That's great. And then that's not even included in my pension.
1: Yeah, that's your money to do what you want. Yeah.
2: My money to do what I want. So if I want to treat myself as a bank and add in other investments, real estate, whatever, these are like the things that I had to learn over time. As a matter of fact, I spent an school hour. School hard knocks,
0: you mean?
2: Yeah, school of hard knocks. I spent an hour going over this types of things and what wealth is, how much should you save, all these things with some 18, 19 year olds earlier today because no one ever talking. Right. That's where I'm coming from. That's the stance that I'm coming from. Like, hey, you know, I can do these things, but I want to live my life too because life's short, right? If you check your family history, man.
0: Which is interesting because this is another tweet. we just running through your tweets, man. You gotta be careful what you put in the future. I just
1: followed you today too, by the way.
0: And I think this is probably going to end up being the most controversial thing we're going to talk about, which is on August 8th, I got the dates and the receipts. <laughs> you don't need to be a business owner to be successful financially. My first year in the Navy, my chief was a millionaire. Only a few of us knew. He also made chief before the age of 26, which was unheard of you can work for someone else and still be successful. So we definitely are talking about this employee, employer, entrepreneur model. Leaf mentioned and talked a little bit about that when he decided to you know, work full-time or work part-time with his blog, being an entrepreneur and so forth. So I sent both of y'all and the audience may, hopefully they know about this. So there's this really famous, controversial YouTube video where Damon Dash who used to own or co-own Rockefeller Records with Jay-Z and Biggs, he goes on The Breakfast Club and is talking about, you know, a future movie and some music and what have you. And so forth, like right in the beginning of the conversation, it just goes off the tracks and they start talking about, you know, being an employee versus being an entrepreneur and what that really means. And Dame Dash just takes some really strong, it's not gray, it's straight up black and white perspectives on being an employee versus being an entrepreneur. So I'm interested in both of y'all takes on this. So what'd you think when you saw that video, Leaf? What'd you think?
1: Yeah. So I watched it and I thought that Dame was very, very, a lot of machismo there. You know, he talked about oh, yeah. like, what, like what a real man does. Yeah. And, you know, you're not a real man. If you work for someone else, you're not a real man. If you have a boss, he talked a lot about passing on some business to his boy, although he has a daughter and he didn't really talk about passing anything on to her. So there was definitely some you know, I would say chauvinism in there too. I disagreed with his take. Some chauvinism. I I think it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It was overwhelming. (laughs) I would say DJ Envy had a sensible take. Yeah. And I became financially independent. I've kind of been on three sides of the coin now, like my own boss completely. I started out as my own boss doing locums, but when you do, Anesthesia work—you have a lot of bosses, right? You guys are surgeons. You're kind of a boss of mine in a way. The patients are a boss of mine. You know, they choose what they want and they kind of decide what they're comfortable with. The OB nurses are my bosses, right? They call me any time of day or night and say, "We need an epidural now. Come now." <laughs> so I had a lot of bosses even when I was technically on the employer employee side, my own boss. And then I was a W two employee physician for about half my career. So in, in 13 years with a lot of bosses, I became financially independent, and that worked really well. Now I choose to work and I choose to do this blogging thing. And I do love the freedom it gives me. I don't have to wake up at any particular time. I have all those benefits that Dash was talking about.
0: Do you think you could ever go back to just being a W-2? Like you got to put away the blog. You got to not do locums. You think you'd ever go back? I mean,
1: psychologically, yeah. Financially, I don't have a good reason to. But let's say I was wiped out, whatever. I get sued. My money, you know, am I not at zero? Yeah, I'd go back to working at a hospital. I wouldn't have a problem with that. I'm willing to answer to authority. Like There are times in the military, especially, where having authority uh, is a good thing, where having someone in charge is a good thing, and not everyone could be in charge of themselves, or you would lose every battle, every war you entered, right? Here's the reality, right?
2: A dollar is a dollar no matter where you earn it, right? So whether someone else pays you a dollar, or you pay yourself a dollar, it's the same value, right? And if the military pays it, then it's like $1.50 because you're not paying
1: taxes. <laughs> well,
2: but I'm just saying, like at the end of the day, not everyone's cut out for being an entrepreneur. We all know that you have to have a certain mindset to be an entrepreneur, just the reality. And not everyone is ready for the struggle. What everyone sees is the entrepreneurs that succeed. Oh, I'm making six figures, and I, I'm my own boss. But they don't see the sweat equity that got put into that, right? The failures that happened beforehand. Exactly. Yeah. You see the tip of the iceberg. You have no clue how many late nights that person was up, how many doors got thrown in their face, especially if it's a venture capital driven business, right? The trying to beat down those doors, trying to get leads. And in reality, if you're in a service-based business, and let's just be honest, we know medicine has moved to a service-based business, right? You're always the employee of someone else, okay? Okay. Your patients are your boss. It just, even as a surgeon, you give them their hey, options. Say, say
0: that again for the med students and pre med because a lot sir- of them think, think there's a lot of autonomy. I did also, oh. and then just drop that again for them.
2: You are someone's employee, no matter what, or the patient is your boss, right? You're going to give them their options. They get to choose. And that's the reason why we have patient autonomy, right? You're just filling in. You're a technician, right? And okay, so fine, you're going to be an artist <laughs> and an artist, right? You're a technician, an artist, you're a plastic surgeon, and you That's said, cool. you, right. And you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to own your own business, right? You want to own your anesthesia practice. Well, guess what? You can't be a technician, right? And think you're going to be able to run the business hundred percent by yourself. Okay. You might hire a office manager. You might hire a practice manager. You might outsource your billing, right? So. Even though you technically own the business, well, guess what? At some point you're gonna have to sell a portion of that business. And if you're selling a portion of that business, someone else is paying you. So you're an employee again.
0: I'm not following. What do you mean sell a portion of your business?
2: Let's say if you need to expand your business, right? Hospitals love to buy a private practice. They're gonna give you a deal, they buy 50% of your practice, right? The practice signs your check, right? Because you are an employee of the practice. You technically own it. But the reality is because someone else owns it, you technically work for them, right? They own that. I see your point. The entrepreneurial mindset, it's really just a mindset, right? Either you have it or you don't. There are people, there's not one CEO in this country who is like, oh, well, I should just be an entrepreneur and give up this $5 million per year.
1: (laughs) Right. How about this?
0: Do you ever feel like, you have an obligation, particularly with your upbringing, that the cycle of being poor and so forth, do you feel like you're breaking that? Because it really stops with you. But technically, I think what he's trying to say is, is he's really trying to make sure that this issue never happens again. So he's teaching his kids how to make money on their own, right? Without having to necessarily have to come into work and have to work for someone else. As he says, call someone else daddy, because they're the boss. Like I said, he takes a very machismo, very like, polarizing view of it. I'm not saying it's correct. I'm just asking just to probe. I'm being a devil's advocate.
2: What are your thoughts on that? Because I have two daughters and one son, all right? Mm-hmm. First off, I don't want my daughters ever calling someone daddy, right? That's just not how employer-employee relationship works. But I taught my kids from a very young age what the difference is on how money works for you versus you working for money, right? And so my kids, whether they work for someone else or they own their own, they're going to be set up because guess what? I taught them what the difference between wants, needs, and just you living above your means, right? And what you might think you want because someone else has, right? So learning those things, setting the foundation of it, whether you work and make $60,000 a year as an entrepreneur or you work for someone else making $60,000 a year my kids are going to be set up because they're going to understand how to do tax optimization, right? They're going to understand how to put up 20% of their money because I taught them that from an early standpoint, right? The reality is it takes $56,000 a year to become a millionaire if you do it correctly. That's just out there. Everybody understands that. $56,000 a year. With enough time, right? Time is your greatest asset. With enough time, yeah.
0: What do you think, leave? Leif- when you're done, like, would you be more proud of your kids if they went the, let's say, the entrepreneur route or if they entered into employer type relationship? Be honest. Well, do you feel like there's an obligation that you have to stay? No,
1: steal? I don't think there's any obligation there. I think Dame is actually maybe doing his kids a disservice by letting them really benefit and capitalize on his fame and fortune. You know, he talked about having his kids outside of his storefront, you know, selling hats. I think his son was, his daughter selling bracelets or something. And they're going to make good money because they're his kids and because he has that storefront. And that's starting 500 yards ahead, right? As opposed to David starting 500 yards behind. So I've got two sons and we're definitely open about money. We're trying to teach them, you know, the basics of compound interest and the rule of 72. And if you leave your money in bank of mom and dad, which we just have a spreadsheet, whenever they get, you know, birthday money or they work, like right now we're watching a dog on Rover and we get like 16 bucks a day. They split and they take the dog out. They pick up the poop. And they put it in the bank of mom and dad. They get 1% interest every month. So they see that. Yeah. No, it's not open for our deposits. <laughs> but uh, only my two. And they see, well, gee, and I have like, you know, a few hundred dollars in there. I get three bucks for doing nothing every month. Okay, now it's up to 800. Now I get $8 for just leaving it there and not spending it on Legos, which they would probably do otherwise. So, yeah, they're learning about money, but I'm not going to give them like tons of advantages just because I have money.
2: So I take a different approach.
0: Kanye West came up. Remember his first album? I don't know if y'all listened to his first album, but you remember that part where he says he has a skit where it's almost like rich dad, poor dad, right? Where there's one kid who's saying that he's going to use his father's degrees. Remember the father died and my dad just left me the degrees and I'm going to sleep on these degrees when I get cold. <laughs> you know, like I agree with Dame to some extent, but there's some other issues that I have. Cause I think that you guys are right. Like I think that you can get to a certain level of personal financial independence or you can get to a certain level of just pride working for someone provided that you are doing the right things with your money right he's just all or nothing right which is if you're working for someone it doesn't matter what you're doing even if you're saving your money even if you have whatever on the side doesn't matter the fact that you're working for someone you're not working for your family name you're working for your first name which is a very interesting perspective so
1: and there's obviously varying levels of autonomy too right like you know dj envy was saying yeah i we choose what we put on the show. When we put social media posts, that's stuff to us. Like the people that employ us, you know, count on us to do what we want and do it, do it the right way. But anyway, go ahead, David. Didn't you know, hear it comes off. down to being happy in your job, right? The reality is your
2: job has nothing to do whether you're employed or entrepreneur on how financially savvy you are, right? That's totally separate. You can be the biggest entrepreneur ever and have no ability to manage your own money. Uh, it's funny, you mentioned the bank of mom and dad. So what I did is I started a UTMA account, right? Which is, again, controversial. People say, oh, you should have 529, yada, yada. I started a UTMA account, right? Because I'm investing in my kids. So they know that they don't put any- Explain birthday
0: that, birthday. just for some people don't know what that is, explain that.
2: So a UTMA account is uniform transfer to minor account. So what it is, it's a typical type brokerage account. You can buy stocks, real estate whatever you want to put inside that vehicle and you can invest it And the parents or whoever opened it on behalf of the child or behalf of the minor takes care of it for X amount of years, right? When it gets above a certain amount, the child has to file taxes because now they're actually gaining some money on it. Right. But at the age of 18, it immediately becomes theirs. Right. And that's the scary part for individuals who are like, Oh, well, I don't want my knucklehead 18 year old, getting $20,000. Well, actually I do, right? Because I'm banking on the fact that I know I spent 20 plus years learning financial literacy. And I know if I do a good job, I'm going to teach my kids the same. And then they're going to realize that compound interest is going to work even better because they're starting from 2000 yards ahead, right? There's not many 18 year olds that are going to go in and then say, Hey, you know, I have 30 grand that's already in the bank for me. And I can use it to, when it comes down to uh, buy a house, now here's my down payment at 30, right? Or, hey, you know, I got a great deal on a duplex and I want to live in one side and have the other person pay me, right? And there's the duplex, right? Or they're like, hey, you know, I really got a great business idea. I really want to bet on myself. Here's the money to get started, right? And what that does is it helps them because I feel like as an African-American community, When you hit 18, you're outside the house. And that happens way too frequently. And I am trying to break the cycle of that.
0: You're onto something. I have that experience from a different perspective of my parents came here and then me and my sisters and anybody who's an immigrant knows they had to pay that safety tax. And what I mean by that is the ability to become a business person or do something creative, that's not an option. Like you either become a doctor, a lawyer, you know, an engineer, or whatever it is that is considered safe, right? Mm -hmm. Even though I enjoy what I do, but I know there are a lot of people who don't enjoy what they do and they wish that they could have done something that would have gave them a little bit more creativity, but they know if they spoke to their parents like that, they're like, yeah, we're not paying for X, Y, and Z. Hold up, before we continue to all my day ones and you know each and every one of you who you are, thank you for rolling with the show from jump, And to the new listeners, welcome. What's good? Where y'all been? I want y'all to stay a while. All right. So look, I'm trying to build a community here and I need your help. So with whatever app you're listening to this show right now, I want you to click the subscribe button. Then I want you to go over to Apple Podcasts and I want you to rate and review the show. And you may be asking, how does this help? The way how it helps is by helping the show to grow and rise up in the rankings so that it's easier for new people to discover the show. Now, what's in it for you is at least once a week, I'm going to be going through these reviews. I'm going to pick a lucky reviewer and I'm going to give that person an opportunity to have a 15 minute session with me where we could talk about anything from personal finance, getting your money right, to just shooting the you know what about the show. So listen, remember, all I need you to do is subscribe and then rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. Let's get on with the episode. Peace. So, for me, you know, the thing that me and my wife are taking pride in is your perspective, like, which is we want them to have the option and even the finances to take chances and maybe even grow the name or do whatever they want to do more on an exponential level, take chances and so forth. So, I don't know. Leif, what do you think? What are your thoughts on all this?
1: Yeah. I mean, the I- kids are. Men are nine and 11 right now. So they're about halfway to college age. So there's a lot of time, a lot of time for them to grow. You know, and me, yours are like toddler and baby. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. How old are you, Dave? 10, three, and about to be two. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we don't know what they're going to turn into. We did 529 plans uh, for our kids, built those up before I retired. So they should have plenty of money for college and beyond if they choose to do that. But yeah, I think every kid is going to be different and they're going to be individual and maybe. Kind of play to their strengths. And I don't necessarily want to have the huge pile of money other than the tuition money, you know, there for them. But I have the money. It's not in their name, it's in my name. You know, if something comes up and there's an opportunity, we could help out.
2: So the other little caveat is, which people don't realize, is I didn't use my GI Bill ever, right? And so Mm -hmm. I just transferred it to my kids. My kids don't even know that I did it, right? They'll probably find out eventually. But if, or unless your
0: t- uh, 10 year old to this podcast, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well,
2: well, I mean, that's just the thing. So, like, they do have a little bit of their college taken care of, right? If that's the route that they choose to go. Now, I have talked to so many people, and I also believe that helping the, in order to change the generation, I need to help my kids get to a starting point right. where they're not starting a thousand yards behind, right? So, right. if it turns out, I need to pay for a graduate degree. Well, guess what? That's what mom and dad are going to do. We're going to pay for them to get their graduate degree so that they have their first, they can start off on a good financial footing. But when they hit that point, I've done my job. They need to do the work at that point.
0: But I think that's a really good perspective because that's, I agree with that. I think that's the whole, even more so than teaching them entrepreneurship or just working for someone is the concept of, you know, giving them the tools to really, Make and take chances that are, you know, calculated and so forth. And I think you know, starting off the bat with six hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt, or however much people are nowadays doing, there's only so much you can do, right? I think if you had the opportunity, if the government had an opportunity, what would you rather have a doctor spending money on student loans or spending money on, you know, on a house or spending money on their first practice? But I guess the way in which the federal loan system works now, like they get money you know, off of people paying student loans anyway. So they're making money either way. So it doesn't matter to them. So
2: It's a racket. It's a complete racket.
0: Right. So, you know, the other thing that I'm really interested in is cars. (laughs) 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 Is cars. So for me, I'm driving a 2014 Toyota Corolla. It has airbags. David is not. it, It has airbags. It's got Bluetooth. I want a Tesla, but I'm holding off until... You know, I, I
2: remember listening to that episode. Oh, I want Tesla, <laughs> Guys,
0: I want a Tesla so, so bad. That literally is, Tesla for me is like the iteration of Knight Rider. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I grew up watching, you know, Knight Rider. So for me, that thing, the fact that you could summon it, you know, with your cell phone. <laughs> but I know for me right now, like there's this thing in my mind that is like, well, if I spend the money on a Tesla right now, or not even if I don't get my business to do it, then I'm kind of wasting money. Maybe I should just be using that money to save for something in the future. And I know that that scarcity mindset can affect me. And I think in another way, it helps me to save. So let's talk about this. Let's get the perspectives on leasing a car versus buying.
1: Buying almost always comes out ahead compared to leasing, especially if you're willing to buy a used car that's maybe been out at least a year or two because those cars depreciate so much in the first couple of years. So leasing, you're just pretty much paying that depreciation. I think the smart thing is to do is to buy a car that just came off a lease. Our most recent vehicle purchase was a a year and a half ago. We bought a 2017 Nissan Armada. It was a vehicle for Hertz. and That's a big boy. It is. And I wanted something that could pull a travel trailer so Ah, we could go camping out west, do all that kind of fun stuff. I also used it to move ourselves because after retiring, we moved to Michigan, and nobody paid for my move this time. So <laughs> I, I got an enclosed trailer and loaded it up five times, went back and forth 600 miles each way, like throughout the summer, because I was going back to work, coming back to Michigan, see my family, back and forth for work anyway, bringing loads. So anyway, long story short, we paid like maybe twenty thousand under sticker for a two-year-old car that had you know forty thousand miles on it, give or take. That worked out well for us. I like that car, but it is a beast. We call it the beast. That's its name.
0: <laughs> David, let's get your perspective on this. <laughs> I'm not even going to read your tweet. I just want you to just say it.
2: I love cars, right? And I'm always going to love cars. Seems and you're pushing. I walked for 18 years. Right? <laughs> when I say walked, I mean, I remember walking 10, 12 miles at a time, right? To get somewhere, right? Because that's where we had, we had no money for the bus.
0: As you're getting older, is the mileage getting longer? Because like in five years, it's going to be like a (laughs) a 15-mile walk or a 20-mile walk. No, I can literally
2: tell you where I walked from in Oakland, California. I'm going to Google Maps this. The airport, right? I walked there, right? Because we had to drop – I walked from there, I should say, because we had to drop off a rental car, right? That was my grandfather's rental car, and we walked back, right? But the reality is I walked for so long, and then I finally got a car. And then I was picking the wrong type of cars, right? It wasn't really cars that I wanted. I was picking a used car that my sponsor parents who were trying to teach me responsibly, like, hey, you know, get this used car. It's going to save you money. And I get it. For some people, used cars work out. If I could find a situation where I was going to drive that, but the thing that I realized now I get older, after two years, I'm bored with the car. So to go back and get a different car when the car's not already paid off. Now you're talking about rolling, loans and stuff like that. I'd rather lease the car knowing that that's just, it gives me a happiness that you can't put a price on because I always get the new technology. And I will say this from a Tesla standpoint. Wait, wait what are you
0: driving? Wait, car. hold on. Before you say that, what are you driving?
2: So I just got rid of my F-150 because I'm down here. I, currently right now, I am driving a 2001 Mercury Grand Marquis that i That's almost 20 years old, son. <laughs> Thirty-five. Well, it's $3,500, and I'm stuck in an aisle. So I didn't really oh, have Oh, that's it. what
0: you're driving in Cuba. Okay.
2: Yeah, that, I didn't
1: have a lot of options, right?
2: So from that standpoint, that's
1: what I'm driving. You could have bought like uh, one of those old Russian cars I've seen there, or the yeah, 1950s yeah. <laughs> uh, Chevys. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I mean, from that standpoint, that's what I'm driving. When I in the
0: mainland, back, you don't have a car.
2: I got rid of it okay, right before I, I came down here. Okay. Oh, my wife makes fun of me because she says I have a list of cars, right? The one good thing, and I'm not a huge fan of buying cars, but from a financial standpoint, Tesla actually retains value. It's kind of weird that the used cars are barely depreciated after a couple of years. You can go get a 2012, right? That is still probably 60, 70% of the original value, which is crazy to me.
1: But yeah, like, And with the electric I, car, you get that battery tax credit. So you yeah. get, you know $7500 off on the new car but not on the used car. Not on the used car. Right. Not so car. that makes it new one attractive. We're actually looking at getting a Ford Escape plug-in hybrid as a big battery think it's like a $6800 rebate because of the size of the battery and it would be cheaper than the non-plug-in models. It would be comparable to a used one that's a year or two old because of that big tax credit. So
0: Say that all again, because my wife
1: is listening. Yeah. (laughs) When you buy a brand new electric or hybrid vehicle that has a large battery, i.e. Tesla. Tesla Model S. Yes, when you buy a Tesla or similar, Mm -hmm. if it's a full-size, big battery, $7,500 as a credit, so that's basically cash on your taxes for that year. So if it's a $45,000 Model 3, now it's a $38,000 Thirty-eight thousand-dollar model three, or thirty-six-five.
2: I would happily drive a Tesla, right? And I would actually buy it and be like, "Hey, I'm going to keep this for ten years because the technology in there is amazing.
0: It upgrades all the time,
2: and it upgrades all the time. It's more of a software platform than anything, right? But the fact of the matter is, they don't have a supercharger network. That's where I am in Virginia, right? Where I live, right? So the nearest charger is thirty minutes away, right? So trying to get to that charger and then Trying to charge at home, or if I come home late, I can't open the garage or whatever. Like, that's a big factor, right? You know, as a surgeon, as anesthesiologist, you're constantly getting called. We don't call to come in or be near close by. Like, having that reliability is one of those things. So, if they build out a network, I will gladly buy one.
1: Yeah. In northern rural uh, Minnesota and Michigan, places where I've lived, you know, and currently and recently, yeah, there's no option. So, we need a combustion engine. But the plug-in hybrid will give us like 40 miles on the battery alone and then it becomes a hybrid with a gas engine so
2: yeah and then, kind of the best of both worlds works right now i love michigan my wife's entire family's from there nice and i call it detroit's like one of my second home but uh when it gets cold oh the battery
0: efficiency. Yeah.
2: The efficiency goes down so that's another like scary thing for me is like well you know sometimes it gets really cold here and I can't wait 45 minutes if there's an emergency at the hospital for my car to charge. It just it can't happen.
0: Yeah, but you scrape in the front of your windshield on
2: a regular combustion car and we for the one. Nah, that's what an auto starts for, man. Perk <laughs> <laughs> in the garage.
0: So do you really, every two years you're getting a new
2: car? Usually every two to three years. So you lease your cars? I lease all my cars. So you don't, if you walked more, you wouldn't get bored with the car. There you go. (laughs)
1: So you
0: don't think it's a fleece.
2: (laughs) No. So here's the deal, right? And I never make emotional decisions when it comes to finance, right? So if I go find a car that I like, I have usually researched it a ton. I've usually asked people about it. And then I know what I should be paying for it. And I know what my budget can afford. So I set a cap on the amount that I will pay for a lease car it can be very painful sometimes because then I won't find something that I really like, right? And then I end up driving something that I have like, but I say I won't allow myself the excess to be like, oh, well, I'm just going to go get lease a Mercedes S550. It's my dream car, by the way. I'm just not going to go do it, right? Because it's not practical. The reality is if I cut back, right? And say the lease costs $600, right? If I cut back and I'm able to get a lease that is $300, well, I just save $3,600
1: that I can put towards something else. And there are some crazy lease deals. I know there are websites that follow like if you're less picky and don't have a specific model that you want, like here's some crazy lease that just need to get them off the lot and it's going to cost you one third of what it cost somebody else two yep. months ago. My that does happen. Me. Yeah, okay. My well, then that does make it a lot more affordable. But you most know. people are just like, what car do I want? What does it cost? I'll pay it. Okay. No, I will yeah. look for the
2: dealer test-driven. Vehicle that has like ten thousand miles, right? That they and I go during certain times. So like January, February, and I ask them, "Hey, do you have the last year's model still there?" Because the dealerships, I learned how they make their money. They make their money primarily on the finance, right? Those cars are costing them every day while they're on the lot. Yeah, right? five so ten bucks a day per car. Pay. So I wait for them to be desperate. And then I go in January, February, and I say, hey, you know, what car, what last year model do you have
1: that you're willing to lease to me? You're car hacking. That's it's like travel hacking, but oh, with vehicles. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: So I think overall, it's safe to say that, you know, Twitter, you know, I think the reason why I really ultimately wanted to get your perspective, David, is that Twitter doesn't leave really much space for nuance, right? And I think that the key things, from this conversation is, is that you are very nuanced actually, right? Like you take a very nuanced approach to life and to finances and so forth. It's just that, you know, with I don't know how many keywords it is, but 120 words, 120 characters is only so much that you can put in the tweet and stuff. So I got a better perspective of how you think. So I think the audience also got a better perspective also, because I think it's sometimes, you know, when we boil things down, like we all can't think alike or we all don't have the same background. We all don't have the same upbringing. So we're going to take and, you know, do certain things with our behavior that's different. So I'm really glad that you're able to kind of flush those things out. So I hope you didn't think we were picking on you or anything like
2: that. No, no, I enjoyed this entire conversation. First off, one day I was like, I forgot what I was doing, but I went through uh, Leaf's entire website. I read everything on it (laughs) because I was like, oh man, this is good information. I was jotting down notes. I was like, I haven't heard of this. Let me go look for it. Because I think you had a, a original post back when on the donor advice fund, correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, what the heck is a donor advice fund? So then I start going down. Look, man, I read literally everything. Right now, I am trying to juggle three books that on audio uh, on an audio book, I have one hard copy book that is by my bedside that I read a chapter a night. And then I read three to four articles in the morning before I even start work. That is
1: impressive. Right. 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 <laughs>
0: Well, look, since you just finished speaking, why don't you let the audience know how they can get in touch with you, how they can read your philosophy on personal finance? How can they get so in? yeah.
2: I have a, it's a really weird name, and this is part of the, my brother really egging me on to do this. It's called Surgify, Surgeon, Financial Independence, whatever you want to put it. It's dot com. It's a blog. You can go find everything. I do not have any ads on there. So you don't have to worry about any of that as of right now. You
0: better get your weight up, yo.
2: (laughs) Based on what Leafs saying. Been around since April. And I think I have like 3,600 hits. It's not even that much, right? The reality is, is like, I really just want to get the information out there. And you can find me on Twitter at F-I-S-U-R-G-I. And the reason why is someone had the screen name or Twitter handle Surgify for like the last 10 years and they're not even active. It's really annoying.
1: Frustrating, yeah. <laughs>
0: Leaf, what about you? How can the audience keep in touch with you? Read right. about your philosophy.
1: After they have read everything that is there on Surgify.com, hop on over to PhysicianOnFire.com. You can type in P-O-Fire.com, takes you there. I'm active on Twitter also, and now following FI Surgy or something. It's something backwards, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Twitter, PhysicianOnFire. I've got. Facebook group for physicians only called Physicians on Fire. We got 22,000 docs in that group. I'm in that personal finance right on. Yeah. So uh, yeah, lots of ways to find me.
0: And leave just so you know, Docs Outside the Box is a nonprofit. So if you want to make some (laughs) donations, you send some of that money. There's one. (laughs) I'm teasing. I'm teasing. So listen, this was awesome, guys. I hope we can do this again. Once again, to the audience, like I said, this is a topic outside the box. And I think that the key thing from this is there's multiple ways that you can skin a cat. And it really is based off of your upbringing, the knowledge you have. And all we're trying to do is just expose everyone to different ways of, you know, making yourself more financially independent, being more in control of your life. And let me know what you think, guys. Go ahead and leave me a voicemail. If you go to the website, Dr. Nidarko, and click on the blue icon on the right it says ask me a question let me know what you think about this episode if we should do more of this if you think dr david is crazy if you think dr leaf is on something let us all know what you think and we'll probably put it on another friday episode put out the feedback from everyone and go from there so once again leaf david thank you all again we gotta do this again thanks for having us